Hi, peeps. Help Me Be Me is underfunded and needs your help. If you enjoy listening to this or it helps you at all, please visit helpmebeme.com and click donate or visit me on Patreon. Thanks. Hi, friends. It's Sarah May, and this is an episode I'm calling Family Ties, and you'll understand why. Uh, But it's about when good relationships suddenly go bad. So how do good relationships suddenly turn into bad ones, seemingly out of nowhere? Whether that's with fights that ensue endlessly or one partner suddenly betrays the other partner, this kind of behavior can make you feel mystified, angry, and stuck. So I want to shed a bit of light on the potential reason behind these shifts. And if you had a once healthy and mutually rewarding relationship, this might give you a bit of a starting place for the work that has to be done. Or at the very least, it will enlighten you as to what has happened. So does any of this sound like you? I thought I married somebody who loved me and now they seem to hate me. Or this behavior came out of nowhere. One day she told me she didn't love me anymore. Or I can't believe this happened. I want to ask him, is she worth it? These are the types of things that I hear in my one-on-one sessions. And it's a common experience to suddenly see your partner change into somebody you don't know or you didn't think they'd be. It can make you feel stupid, like you should have known better. It can make you feel assaulted, like you just got a hard slap for no reason whatsoever. It can make you feel like you can't do anything to stop the problem. You can't tell up from down, and the whole world is not what you thought it was. Well, there's a reason why this is happening, just like there's a solution, if you want one. But before I get started, I want to tell you that this is a much abbreviated version of this topic because it's really intricate and it has a lot of layers. It's a pretty amazing one, actually. So if you're interested in learning about more of what I'm going to go through, I'm going to post a link to my reading list on my website in the blog version of this. It's worth uh, The main book I would say I refer to in this is called Intimate Partners. It's a blow-your-mind amazing book. It's really worth a read. Um, without further ado, there are three parts. The what, the why, and the how, the tools. Part one, the what. On the surface, what most couples fight about is money and sex. And it's the most volatile issue in the relationship because of the fact that what most relationship conflicts are about is power and dominance. So these are the form of the battle of for control in the relationship. So usually when people get stuck in a power struggle, the form it takes will vary according to the superficial factors in the relationship. But underneath, it's an internal struggle happening within both parties. In other words, it's not actually about what it's about. It's just the form that the anger takes. So think of it like the costumes worn on the stage of a much deeper story. I want to talk to you about what the battle is really about so you can understand why there's seemingly no solution. Our bonds are formed on the basis that both parties need to maintain intimacy and autonomy simultaneously. So the bond will continue to be like a dance, a balancing act for both people between those two states. So they are both important things to have for the health of the relationship, and they must be maintained in a way that both people agree to as they go. 
So that means being yourself, but also being half of another person. So what both people don't see or people fail to realize in their relating to one another is each person has a very strong imprint. It's kind of like the shape and tint of their goggles through which they perceive their mate and every act done inside of the relationship. It's not to say that there isn't common ground or that true communication doesn't take place. It's to say that the lenses by which we view these exchanges and the interpretation we have of them is completely unique to us. How we experience the actions of another takes on meaning based on our particular emotional map. So sometimes the gap that grows between loving couples comes down to the tools we didn't get and truths we didn't live. Because of our particular lacks or a monumental imprint in our map, we literally cannot see eye to eye with our perceived partner. And this is when intentions are lost, communications stop landing, and the gap becomes wider. In these crevasses, all that we can identify is our vague association of this situation from our familiar experiences. What we are using to interpret is a one-person language translator. It's made up of the definitions we create in our mind for what love is, how it should be given, who we are, and what we need to be happy. So the question becomes, how do we bridge that gap and how do we identify it? Well, as a start, we can trace the patterns to uncover the missing pieces that lead to the misunderstandings. Because very specific conflicts play out depending on certain landmarks of your emotional map. So I want to offer you some information on some of these landmarks, and I invite you to connect the dots further with your partner. Because by examining your patterns, you can find the roots to any missing foundational elements of self. And from there, you can both retrain yourselves to grow and foster your respective voids. That process is not a negative one. It's a rebalancing, a love-inspiring one, and both people will learn to give and receive gifts they were ill-equipped to before which rewards both of you. Why would this be helpful to you? Well, if you are suffering and you're stuck and you're both feeling unhappy because of unmet needs, the path to a solution begins when you can understand and perceive the correct problem. So it's not about what he or she should be doing for you or what you should be doing for them. Most couples don't see that the fights they're having are actually about totally different things. Because right now, all you both can see are your own needs and opinions, and they're being projected back and forth. And in other words, you're fighting the wrong battles, and you can't even see who your partner is beneath your own emotional map and outside of their projections onto you. So it's like you're fighting with shadows. So this is kind of a starting point for you to unravel where the work needs to be done in both of yourselves. Which brings me to part two, the why. So when people fall in love, we relate to our mate based on a mutual and invisible agreement to meet each other's needs and fill each other's voids. So it's like something you can read in just the way you are attracted to somebody else. It's like sonar. It's not like anything is specifically said. But strangely, what originally attracts us to somebody is the same thing that eventually we hate about them or we, or will be the thing we dislike about about them most and that's because we look for in other people what we have suppressed in ourselves and what we don't like or we fear in ourselves like what we were incapable of so all of these voids that we have we see in them and it's what attracts us and yet 
it becomes a foundation for whatever our imbalance as a couple will be. I need this thing, you have this thing in abundance, give it to me. Like that's the loop that begins. So when conflict and unhappiness arises, it's because the relationship relies on a particular kind of imbalance and that imbalance has caused the relationship harm. And that's either because it has been exacerbated by a practical factor, like it has become too much for one partner to handle, or one par- partner has changed the way that they act in this unspoken agreement, and it has been felt as a betrayal by the other half of the partnership. So in them, it has triggered this sensitivity, this repressed rage or need that has been thus far soothed by filling the respective void in the partnership. So I want to put that into context so you can see what it looks like. So let's say the partnership looks like a caregiver, logical person who has been attracted to the overly emotional person. What happens when we operate based on this mutual agreement is the imbalance will cause kind of a sickness over time. So the logical thinker caregiver eventually will feel exhausted and depleted by the intense emotions and will further distance as a way to empower themselves which will then trigger more emotion from the emotional person. And then that is now causing both people to be very unhappy and pulling in opposite directions. Or let's say the overly emotional person decides they want to be respected and they want to grow up and they want to be a more powerful member of the relationship, become more of a logical thinker, be taken seriously. So this might evoke hostility from the logical partner because it feels like a breach of contract. So the logical partner might find themselves belittling the emotional person and trying to keep them, trying to make them return back into their place. Even putting them in situations that they know will, they'll succumb to their old methods. Like, don't you want to explode your life again so I can take care of you? So that's all unconscious though. It's just because it's, it's causing it's threatening the balance that they had before as a couple. So these imbalances, when we meet and join with somebody else based on them, is not a dynamic that's healthy for either person, but it can feel really safe and comfortable because it's where we fit together. It's like instead of a bond, it's more like being stuck together in kind of an unhappy loop. In a couple power struggle of needs. The most common weapon is just to polarize to your partner. So that's to pull even harder in the opposite direction. And with increasingly more violent pulling, the unmet needs become volatility and anger and resent and pleading. And why can't you change? You should change. Why can't you change? You should change. So what was love now turns into a hostile battle fought on practical terms like debates. Or depending on how vulnerable each partner feels and how incapable they are of, I don't know, dealing with shame or fear, sometimes the struggle will take on a different form and they will actually create a great distance between each other. So if both people can't figure out how to address the conflict, it's like they will create a safety zone between them so that they can feel protected in their own individual fear and or shame. So the particular patterns that form in each person have everything to do with how they were parented and how they interpreted the self and intimacy. 
based on just forming from a baby. Like your caregiver is the first foundation you have for understanding who you are in the world, what it means to be loved, and um, how you can receive love. So to a startling degree, these dynamics that you are trained by your parents to, to believe in are ingrained to us on like a cellular level. So sometimes a person will be living out a pattern that was set in motion by their parents, 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 and they will actually have no idea of their family history. Like the act will come out of nowhere. It's almost like this deep down, down programming that has been suddenly triggered to play. For example, one of my previous clients suddenly decided that they were enraged at their partner and wanted a divorce and that they weren't in love with him anymore. But they were actually repeating the same act that their dad did at the same age and during the same milestone in life. It's that deep. So if somebody grew up with, let's say, lots of affection but zero tolerance, this will become part of their emotional tool set as an individual. We are gifted with our emotional habits in the way we are raised and reacted to, and that will play out differently when it comes to the various life triggers and milestones we reach. So if a person doesn't display any of these types of habits, it can be activated when we reach a very specific stage in our development. So for example, let's say like as soon as you have are talking about having kids, that's when all of your issues about your parents or your parent who abandoned you suddenly come out in full force and they start to operate your own actions, your own fears, like playing a record. So some, will, some of these types of things will be sleeping until the concept of a certain thing comes up. And then it's like we're triggered to reenact all of these emotions that we actually felt imprinted onto us by our parent. And sometimes we'll overcompensate and we'll actually play out the opposite and that's when the pattern skips a generation. So a child deals with a painful issue or a painful need by suppressing it the best way they know how. But that doesn't mean the painful need goes away. It means it's kept at bay with other things. So without the therapy and insight to confront the feelings or even put them into words or even recognize that they're there, an adult will continue to cope with this pain, this hidden pain, by merging it with their view of self and the way things should be, and then they will seek out others to help them soothe it. But that quest will never be completely fulfilled because it's an imbalance. It can never be stable and completely rewarding. So there's also, just for your information, a generational passing down of trauma that can actually predict a lot of behaviors and a lot of the struggles that you might encounter. So it's referred to as psychological baggage and transgenerational trauma, and it's even called blood memory because your worldview is very much shaped by your first caregiver as well as your family. And it's a perception that's reenacted generation after generation. So some people call it the family jingle. And it could be like a theme, a running thread that carries over that keeps a kind of a, a cycle trapped, you know, of, of a loss, of depression. It could be alcoholism. It could be a pattern of repression. It can be 
something like, you know, a loss of self or culture can create terrible repercussions in generations. And that's just to do with trauma, but most people are stunted in some areas of their emotional development. And that's just because humans are flawed and they can't correct for everything. And plus, if you don't get into therapy, we can't really understand in context how our perceptions can be changed. So we all end up doing the best we can with the perception we've been dealt. So back to what this, how this relates to your relationship. So when you have an imbalance in the way that you relate, let's say somebody is the caregiver and the other one is the bird with the broken wing. If one person begins to grow past this role or one person changes, the other person will experience it as an act of betrayal. So it's like the contract you both agreed to unconsciously has been broken. That promise that you, kept, you made to play this role is up in flames. And then what this does is trigger an emotional reaction to your original pain. So basically, your partner or you will be living out the pain of a betrayal from childhood. And it'll be potent and painful and visceral. And you'll be unable to see the real issue. Because when you're in a couple fight, it doesn't feel like it's an old emotion meant for your parent. It just feels like it's your partner not being who they should be. So this blindness on both sides causes the people to feel like they're being emotionally held hostage or they become more resentful and push for distance. But it's not your fault. It's not their fault. But it's almost both people's faults in the way that the loop of behavior is created based on an unfair and unrealistic expectation, an unhealthy bond. It's not about what it's about. And more importantly, it's not that one person shouldn't have their needs met. It's not about trying to go back to the imbalance. When change happens, it has to happen. It's for the best. Things need to grow and be unraveled. And so if somebody is, is trying to grow or trying to assume some new power or somebody is asking for some new needs to be met, this can trigger a lot of adversity, but what needs to happen is for both people to find a path to become equal and strong partners and individuals. Like it cannot maintain the my needs need to be met by you in this way any longer. It has to be two separate individuals that come together to be one strong team. But they have to be strong unto themselves and give, learn to give and receive uh, the gifts that they give their partner now and also learn to receive the, the gifts that they are not used to getting. So to recap the most important parts before I go on to the tools, we are attracted to people who have the keys to suppress parts of ourselves. In imbalanced relationships, there's an intense battle for power. When the imbalance changes, both parties tend to pull in opposite directions. Both members of the couple are wrong in that they are blind to the truth of the other person and why, what, why they're battling. So with that, part three, the how, the tools. So what is healthy attachment? Healthy attachment is 
two autonomous individuals who are complete unto themselves, coming together to share their gifts with no strings attached, who do not expect anything of one another and don't demand anything of one another. They just give and receive love and care and support. They're gifts. So it's like a voluntary set of gift giving, and it's based on mutual acceptance and appreciation for the other's individual happiness and also a respect for the bond that they share together. So if you meet somebody after doing a lot of work on yourself to deal with your childhood stuff, then you will form a new and healthier way of relating to another person that brings into it the awareness of your own baggage. Like you'll be able to actually identify what your shit is. Like you can watch it playing out in yourself. So in other words, there will be less confusion about where you end and they begin. It's just the awareness and understanding that is key to fixing unhealthy or imbalanced relationships. It changes everything. It's just becoming aware of when you're projecting your opinions and your beliefs on top of somebody else that you could be getting to know and to love and vice versa for the other person. So this process, I'm going to go through these tools. It's better to do this with a couples counselor, obviously, but if you don't have access to a good one right now, here is a starting point. This first tool I'm calling yin yang. So this is just to give you some kind of cursory awareness of your particular imbalances in your relationship. So if you're recognizing the differing perspectives in you and your partner and the loop of the unmet needs, if you're if all these bells are going off while you're listening to this episode, then I want to invite you to go to the next step together with your partner. It's better if you can both walk this path together because you both have to be educated on the same topics. And if you're both interested in saving the relationship, then you owe it to each other to try everything and not give up hope. I know that for many people, it's easier said than done. And a lot of styles and genres of help are very intimidating or just unappealing to a lot of people. But try to do this tool together. So grab a piece of paper and draw a large circle with kind of a a swoopy wave line across the middle of it. Draw yin-yang symbols, what I'm trying to say. And then ask your partner to do the same on a separate piece of paper. And now both of you are going to write on one side. Um, Let's say you'll do the right side and they're going to do the left side. And so at the top of your side, you're going to write in your partner's name. And now I want you to write inside of this space what initially attracted you to your partner? Like what qualities stood out to you? What were the things you liked about them the most? Just free-flowing adjectives, rough descriptions, like what were the qualities that you liked that they embodied? What were the, um, what just enchanted you about them? So once you are both done, I want you to, if you can, cut them out, but if you want just fold them over roughly. I want you to look at your two papers and kind of over or connect your yin-yangs so they fit together. So what you will likely see when you put them together is one complete person. The things you wrote on your side of the page are the things that you are lacking, that you need to learn how to grow in yourself and do better. 
The things they wrote on their half are the things they need to learn to do more of and to bring out in themselves. So we, this is just kind of like a rough map for where you are both compensating for your voids in the other person. And this is kind of what needs to be changed. This is the source of the unhealth. This is where the balance has been tipped. So the reason that these conflicts arise is because we are placing the responsibility on the other partner to complete our view of ourselves with their response to us. It's like a crutch for the thing we're not doing. It's also how we feel okay about ourselves. We use them. We want to appropriate them for validation of our own perception of self. It's like a way to keep your ego safe in its perceptions. And the ego by nature wants to prove that we are right and good. We didn't do anything wrong, that we are strong, that we are right. So this is why you might feel in your fights with your partner that you are just so right and you're so correct in your position. And how could they be so cruel and they are so wrong? And that's just because that's the voice of your perception of self. It's the ego, the thinking brain who has identified you versus everything else in the world. So when you are in an argument and you're justifying yourself to yourself, it's because you're trying, you've had a threat to your self-definition and you're trying desperately to reaffirm it as correct. I hope that made sense. Tool number two is called me talk. And this is actually a ripoff of the book I'm obsessed with that I keep talking about, which is called Intimate Partners. I recommend everyone buy it. I'm going to put a link in the blog. So it's the first step in kind of growing aware of where you and your unmet needs end and your partner begins. So on this exercise, you both have to agree to all of the rules ahead of time, decide you're going to commit to it a thousand percent for it to work. And you have to agree to it all the way. And um, apparently this works amazingly well out of all of the tools in this book. So I highly recommend you try this one. So here are the rules. And if you don't have a pen, I'll be posting the blog version. um, So you can just check that out later this week. Okay, so make first step, make a calendar event that's recurring once a week and set it to infinity. And it's just one hour for you and your partner to sit together and have your me talk time. So here's what the hour is. You're both going to sit together and listen intently as you talk talk about yourselves one at a time. So the first week, just flip a coin to see who goes first. And the first person is going to sit for a half an hour and talk about themselves solo. Just them, not the relationship, nothing to do with the other person. And the other person just has to listen but not respond in any way, shape, or form. Not react not say any words, nothing. So once that first half hour is up, the second person is going to do the same thing, talk about themselves and refer to themselves solely, almost like they are completely a separate individual, no crosstalk, no talking about the other person or your relationship. Just make it about you and yourself and talking about yourself. The other rule in this exercise is you are both not allowed to discuss anything said during that hour or at least, let's say, three days. This might sound really, I don't know, pointless or bizarre or arbitrary, but what actually occurs 
is during this hour, both people are able to stop relating their selves to the other person in this kind of unhealthy cycle. So what you might find when you do this is that you both feel closer and you also feel really rewarded about just this time you got to talk about yourself. It'll also be a time when you are forced to get to know yourself minus the other person and vice versa. It'll undo all of the unconscious kind of, I don't know, designation habits that we do when we describe ourselves or we describe our partner. It's like we're trying to describe something about ourselves via this other person. So this might be a time when you actually get to know your partner in a new way for the first time. That's the second one. Number three is called freeze frame. So this is an exercise for you to do solo, but I invite you to invite your partner to do it too. So I want you to take your couple fights and grab your journal. And I want you to basically freeze frame them. So just start to like click through the last fight you had and just you're trying to find the patterns. So I want you to take it apart in detail and just write it down in your journal. Like just account for what was said describe what they said or or what began the fight and what they said, who activated it, what were the words that you used, what were the fights, what are the fights most often about, what is the core conflict, who is the one who gets upset first, who is the one who vocalizes it, how does the person resolve it if it does get resolved, what are the themes. The last and most important in this reflection, I want you to start to describe to yourself what is your role most often. Like, what is the role you're playing in this play, in this battle? And what is your partner's role most often? Like, what is the need in question? So here's the cool part of this exercise. Once you recognize the roles you play, I want you to become hyper aware of that in yourself. Just know that that's your go-to role. And the next time a fight ensues and this role comes up again, I want you to choose to play somebody else. So in that moment when you would normally play the, I'm just going to be the bigger person, I want you to be the opposite. I want you to get upset and feel the pain of the, your needs not being met and not being heard. But most important is just play a different role. Try completely removing yourself from what your go-to thing is because for both people to come back together in this relationship both people have to realize in these moments when those behavioral loops are taking over your perception in other words you have to be able to identify when your your broken record is starting to play and it's not about what it's about and this is when you will start to be able to identify where your interpretation ends and your partner's truth begins and vice versa. So when you are in that familiar loop of conflict, I want you to change that innate and habituated reaction. Even if you feel it, act opposite. So if you're the super chill one who's easygoing and your partner is the one who's overly critical and gets upset at you if you don't do something and it's stupid trivial things, Let's say your average reaction is to feel hurt and try to explain yourself. For you, I want you to start enacting the absence of that emotional pain. So for example, you might say, I'm sorry, I know I keep forgetting and say it with no sarcasm. 
So what happens when you change this reaction is you will find there is a gap. Suddenly there's a quiet moment where things aren't going the way they normally do. Like your partner might even look up at you and say like, what? Because it'll be so different. It's just about creating that room to change for a different answer to be possible. So I have one more tool, but it's actually just just a mantra. And it's a simple one, and I've offered it quite a few times, but it's not about you. And that's a mantra I use all the time for all kinds of relationships. Because basically, when you find yourself misunderstood or you feel like somebody is putting their heavy and unfair unmet needs onto you or you're finding yourself stuck, it's a way for you to feel a lot better because you don't have to take them personally. Just remind yourself in your pain that it's not about you. Just try and witness this person in their pain or their unconscious loop and just try to isolate their bubble of pain as this entity that lives inside of them and let it be a relief to you to know that it's really not about you and you can't, they don't even see you and you cannot force them to see your view and you can forgive them. And if anything, you can, from that point, feel bad for them in their loop of pain and it'll help you return to a state of love and compassion because even if you can't communicate, you can just be there with your energy. You can be there with love and presence and peace just in your physical being. And at the very least, you don't have to take it personally and it won't hurt as much. We all have limits unless we are given the gift of insight and awareness to see past them. And we're brave enough. So in closing... I want to say thank you to my latest sponsors, Leah and A, which is short for you know who you are, and Kelsey. You are all three now monthly sponsors, and I am thrilled to bits. You make my heart swell, and I am plugging away at a lot of new content, and if you have any requests, as always, please let me know, because I do this for you, and it's what I needed, and I looked for it at one point, and I couldn't find it. In closing, I want to say... If you're the one on the receiving end of a major shift in your partner and you're suffering, firstly, I am so sorry. I know how baffling and hurtful that can be. I need to tell you that you can't do all of the change alone. It, it takes both people working on their end of the bargain. And it takes both partners humbling themselves to a level of, I might be wrong, I'm open to listening, and I'm willing to learn. However, sometimes people say things they don't mean, especially when they're afraid to face something overwhelming. So if you love someone, don't let a lack of hope be the reason you give up. Say how you feel and put it out there and invest, because you might be the reason that your partner is brave enough to invest right back. When people feel safe enough, they will give more of themselves. Know that this conflict is coming up for a reason and it can't be bypassed. It's a test, and you have to earn the results. Often when tensions arise, it's a way for pressure to reset something, and it can be a leveler that allows intimacy to return to both parties in a much more rewarding way. So this can actually be a great gift in disguise. Don't resent it, 
just welcome the change that's meant to take place. So sometimes people just need to take their own longer sideways path and they need to be allowed to fail and to be loved and accepted even if they are intolerant to themselves or motivated by fear. I believe in hope when it comes to two people who love each other. So if you've been struggling, it doesn't mean that change is impossible. It means that you might need more time and different support to arrive at the same place. I would say the only thing you can absolutely count on is change. People, even if you don't think they will, will continue to change and life will continue to change and you cannot predict how or what will be one day. You cannot know the capacity of another person. We can only give what we got, but we can also learn to give what we didn't get and when we can feel safe and good about that process, amazing change happens. New and deeper bonds are formed. So if you're wondering if you can save your current relationship based on how impossible it feels right now, in my opinion, the only question you both have to answer is, is it worth it? Is this relationship worth giving up? Is it important enough for you both to do the work? And that's it. Is it worth saving? It's not about if it can be saved. It's about whether or not you are willing to try and fail and then try some more. Because if both parties choose to check the yes box, then I believe you will find happiness once again. And that newfound happiness will be earned. It will be deeper and different. As we experience a relationship, we, we too are always growing and changing and maturing ourselves. And as our needs change and as life changes, so will the relationship. In the end, all you can rely on is what you do with yourself. And that means the best thing you can possibly do is be self-loving be honest, take care of yourself, and try to do no harm. Come from love. Ask more of yourself than you think is necessary. And when you get two people who do that, pretty much anything is possible. So with that, I send you my love, and I hope you enjoyed this. If you did, share it with a friend. Smile. Smile.